Today's April Fools episode is brought to you by Minecraft? Wait, what? Hello, and welcome to What Am I Podcasting For? My name's Carlisle, and this show is the chronicle of my attempts to play through the entire Mega Man series, from Mega Man 1 to Mega Man 11, and as many of the 100-plus games in between as I can manage. And it's April 1st, which means I'm doing something a little bit different today. I'm going to use the 1st of April episode as an opportunity to play some games surrounding Mega Man. Not actual licensed Mega Man games, but some of the stuff that these games have inspired. Of course, this one kind of technically is sort of licensed, because um, unexpectedly, after I recorded the previous episode, like a couple days after that, Minecraft, as in Minecraft of YouTube fame, <laughs> released a Mega Man X DLC pack um, in which you play Mega Man X in Minecraft. Okay, so a really quick brief for those who are not familiar with Minecraft. First off, how? Second off, Minecraft was released-ish somewhere in the 2009 to 2011 range, depending on when you want to consider the launch version of Minecraft. It was originally one dude's work, then it was taken over by like a whole studio who wanted to support it, and then Microsoft acquired that studio. It is a first-person 3D game in which the entire world is made out of blocks, cubes. And every single cube within the game represents something. The trunk of a tree, or its leaves, the dirt, the stone, etc., etc. Because every single individual block is tracked and rendered as a block, the entire world is modifiable. Functionally speaking, it's like digital Lego. You go around, you mine the world to collect its materials, you create whatever your heart desires. There's technically a game in there too, there's monsters that spawn and objectives you can complete and stuff, but mostly it's just a big digital sandbox. As you might imagine, over the years, what people have done with this has gone a little bit crazy. Like, this is a really, really absurd game. It is very simple at a surface level, but you can go in really hard. That endless level of customizability has made it one of the biggest games of the last, like, decade. All the same, officially supported DLC packs are more common in the recent couple years, but are still relatively unheard of, especially crossover stuff. And a crossover with Mega Man X, a game that predates it by like a decade and a half, is definitely would not have been on my bingo card. Now, of course, the experience that they wanted to focus on was playing Mega Man X, which means that a lot of the things that are distinguishably Minecraft kind of had to be cut. You can't really just let players rebuild the entirety of the stages or procedurally generate all the stages if you want to actually achieve a classic Mega Man feeling. So that's gone. In return, it's more like a recreation of the Mega Man X experience in first person with the Minecraft aesthetic and a whole lot of like custom visuals for the blocks and stuff to make it resemble the old stages. And how well did they do? We'll get to that. What I will say is that this does 
come up with a lot of like cute little things to try to get you used to it. For instance, when you start up the pack, the first thing that you have to do in order to start playing is you're put in front of a fake recreated SNES and you have to shoot a floating Mega Man X cartridge with your charged buster in order to get it to turn on the TV that's right beside you. And it's a cute little touch to get you used to the controls and the idea of charged weapons because it's not a thing in standard Minecraft. When you drop down into the opening stage of the game, you're like, oh, okay, they did a pretty good job of this. Because it is the famous opening stage of Mega Man X, the crumbling highway and all. The basic structure of the stages in this game was to create a path that's like six or seven blocks wide so that you have some room to strafe around and move. There isn't hard walls. You can fall off these stages at any point. But generally, you are in like a suspended separated stage segment, and then a lot of the detail work went into the environment around you, recreating the visual identity of the stage that it had in 2D into 3D space. In this opening stage, the skyscrapers aren't just part of the backdrop, they are literally built up around you on all sides, and that's really cool. And it kind of scratches that itch where you want to go exploring, and in some of the later stages, you see opportunities to be like, oh, I could actually just like follow this river and sting chameleon stage sideways, and actually you can't. If you try to pull that, the game will eventually just start an out-of-bounds timer, and if you're out of bounds for too long without actually falling to your death, you will still die. Because this is a very, very controlled experience. Even if you can find ways to kind of cheat and get out of things, uh, it doesn't want you to. Which is really unfortunate. But again, this is it's trying to be play Mega Man X. And to match with that, you have a charge buster. You have a slide, although it is mapped also to your crouch button. But when I say that they've recreated a lot of Mega Man X stuff, I mean, straight up, all the enemies from the first stage are there. They will look a tiny bit different. They may function slightly differently, but most of them have fairly simple patterns, like just flying towards you anyway, or standing in place and throwing projectiles. And all of these things are accurate to how the enemies acted. Hell, they even included the detail that when you destroy the giant wasp flying tank thing in the stage, it crashes into the ground below it and breaks the bridge out from under you and you have to wall jump your way back up the other side. There is relatively little platforming, which is kind of good. Platforming is a little bit harder to do in first person. And the added, like, 3D width of the stage does mean that you oftentimes have the freedom to just skip past enemies. It's not a great idea, because you probably want to destroy enemies in order to get bolts. Once you finish this first stage, there is a shop system that we'll talk about, but you can just speed run past enemies if you want. And when I say that this game looks to recreate X as well as it can, literally at the end of the stage, there's the giant airship, and then like there's a whole cutscene that triggers, actually, where Vile jumps out of the airship and lands on the stage and comes at you and halfway through the fight, win or lose, like you have to get rescued by Zero and all that good stuff. It's it's pretty accurate to what you expect of Mega Man X. It leaves a pretty good first impression. It's when you get back to the lab that that first impression starts to falter a little bit. This is where I would have inserted the stage select music if this game actually played any music back in the hub lab, but it doesn't. In addition to your stage select, you have like a shop you can wander off to where instead of having all the various power-ups to earn by finding them in the stages or by defeating bosses for different weapons, you just straight up buy them in whatever order you want now. Which, I'm going to vent this here, that feels like a major downgrade to me. Minecraft itself is largely about pushing the sense of exploration, and they didn't 
tuck these things away into the stages to actually be found? I know that they established pretty quickly that, like, no, you are staying on rails for this experience and we don't want you exploring, but, like, really? You wanted to create a Mega Man experience and took away one of the most singularly defining features of Mega Man, which is defeating enemies to get new parts of your arsenal? You just locked all that in a shop? One of the defining things about Mega Man X that separated it from the original games in the increased emphasis on exploration and powering up, and you just turned it into a cash-in-your-defeated-enemies? Also, to be honest, most of the weapons aren't really worth getting, either. Like, the weapon change system in this game is really clunky. At any given time, you have your basic buster, your selected weapon, and then an open a menu and pick your selected weapon button that is slow and unresponsive, and it doesn't even pause the game, so... You're still under fire if you're in any sort of danger, making swapping weapons just an absolute nightmare. And how do you screw this up this bad? Minecraft has a long hotbar that you can just scroll through tools on. Why was this a problem? How- mm, Hold on, I think I just need that music break after all to cool my head. Okay, still not cooled off, because then there's just the fact that a lot of the weapons are not designed for a 3D space. Yeah, Spark Mandrel's weapon still technically, you fire it and it travels along a wall up and down accurately to the original material. It doesn't matter, you don't get enemies stuck on walls in this game. Especially because most of the vertical climbing sections are cut out. This is admittedly somewhat merciful. There is wall jumping, but wall jumping in first person is not a great time, let's be real here. <laughs> it's mostly just spamming jump while you are facing a wall and hoping it continues to let you jump. So we probably didn't want to be doing, like, Boomer Kwanger's Tower stage in this game. But I'm still gonna be bad about Boomer Kwanger's Tower not being in this game, because it's not. There's only four actual stages to go to. Chill Penguin, Storm Eagle, Sting Chameleon, and Armored Armadillo. And yes, all of these have pretty accurate recreations of the stages themselves, the bosses, the environments are great, like Sting Chameleon stage looks fantastic with the Minecraft environment, Storm Eagles has this huge aerial base built up around it that looks fantastic and feels like appropriately to scale, Armored Armadillo, okay actually, I mean that one does use the Minecraft like carts, but god that stage was a mess. But, like, the other thing that bothers me about it is that these stages are, like, half-recreations of the original stages, but not really made with the 3D environments in mind. Like, Boomer Kroenger's stage traveling around the outside of a tower would have been excellent if they'd actually been willing to curve the stage and take advantage of that, and they did none of that. Sting Chameleon stage is technically set within a forest, but the forest is, like, a surrounding to you. You are still on a limited track, just suspended in the middle of it. It's just all kind of underwhelming. Once you finish those stages, you do get to go to Sigma's Fortress. It's, like, Technically, four mini-stages that you will travel between. You'll fight Vile again, and have Zero's classic death cutscene. You'll refight the four robot masters as you travel through the castle. You'll eventually fight 
Sigma's dog, and then Sigma himself, and then Sigma will come out in the giant mech, and it turns out that thing is a lot easier when you can aim at it in first person on the ground and fight it from the ground. Like, so much of it is there, but somewhere around the middle of this, I started realizing that this is kind of a shallow recreation. For all of the little things that it does, like playing a copy of the animation of Mega Man beaming into a stage at the start of a stage and stuff. For all the attempts to recreate that, it doesn't really grasp the spirit of Mega Man X. For all the work that went into the environmental design to look fantastic, they didn't bother to actually loop the music. It just fades out and then starts back up. Like, really? Is there something in Minecraft that prevents it from using looping music files? For all the little touches of including, like, an achievement system and a ranking system after you finish stages, and even a rookie hunter mode that's supposed to make the game a little bit easier, or like the speedrun mode and stuff, there was just so little emphasis put on making that replayable experience fun to begin with. And this isn't even getting into the issues that I had with, like, even trying to play this seemingly offline on the Nintendo Switch, because I had to rebuy Minecraft entirely because I literally had not played it since 2009, and so did not have, like, even a Mojang account. Even trying to play it offline on the Switch... I was still running into issues with lag and server desyncs and stuff, because apparently it isn't offline. I know invincibility frames are coded like junk, but everything takes so long to give feedback on you getting hit and your HP going down and landing hits on enemies and parts of the stages just straight up broke sometimes. I had to restart playing entirely at one point. Had the game, like, soft memory crash inside of a boss room and the exit stage button failed to work, leaving me completely stranded. I just... <laughs> I was kind of excited for this. And, like, maybe there's some more fun to be had. Maybe it is... Some of that is problems inherent to the Switch version, specifically, and the way that the Switch handles, like, its play. Like, maybe stuff like the lag was Switch version-specific. Maybe that's on me. Maybe I should have taken the opportunity to play online and multiplayer through the stages with some friends, because that is a thing you can do, and you know what? That's cool. But I don't think anything about the game's design would really have rewarded multiplayer. It is a beautiful recreation that I suggest you watch somebody play through on YouTube because it doesn't succeed at being a recreation of Mega Man X. It doesn't succeed at being an interesting addition to Minecraft in any permanent way, and what it is between them is not anything interesting or unique either. It is a half-shell experience of either side, when a first-person Mega Man experience could be something completely novel and unique and fun, and why hasn't anybody made one? Well... That's right, ladies and gentlemen. There might be a tradition of running Doom on everything. I'm pretty sure you could run Doom on a potato at this point. But how about running Mega Man in Doom? Well, about 12 years ago, with its first official release being back in 2010, somebody did actually have that idea. Mega Man 8-Bit Deathmatch is a fan-made 
mod that is more or less its full entire game running on a modified version of the Doom engine. And I mean, only lightly modified, but that's all they needed in order to create something exceptional. Well, that and 12 years of time, but 12 years has given them plenty of time to do things like have an entire full custom opening scenario setting the game after Mega Man 6 in which the real Mr. X wants to host an actual robot tournament and Wily is challenging Mega Man and Light to show up and become the best robot. And just, okay, much like I explained what Minecraft was when we started there, I'm going to explain what Doom is, because there's a more likely chance that people listening to this actually know Minecraft than Doom. Doom was a 1993 first-person shooter that is oftentimes largely credited with being one of the foundational first-person shooters. Not the first. I know it was at least predated by Castle Wolfenstein, but it was one of the first major successful ones. It was set apart by its fast speed of play, it's like quickly rendered 3D graphics. Even though technically the game is functionally 2D, there wasn't really any verticality in the original Doom. There were a lot of illusions of verticality. There was a lot of stuff it did to trick that, and a lot of like rendering tweaks to that, but you couldn't look up or down. And this is the way in which like 8-bit Deathmatch predominantly breaks away from the core limitations of the Doom engine is it actually does run on a variant that handles vertical look and aiming and things actually existing in 3D space. But so much of what we think of in the first-person shooter genre these days was defined by Doom. It's just a critically foundational part of gaming history, and it's one that's extremely easy to modify because people have dissected and understood how it works for a long, long time. And it's gotten to the point where people have built entire other games in the Doom engine, like this one. This is not a recreation of Mega Man. This is specifically based around the classic era Mega Man games. All of them, actually. I just mentioned that the starts set after Mega Man 6, but beyond just the Mega Man 6 content, this game goes on to have scenarios in its story based around Mega Man 7, Mega Man 8, Mega Man 9, Mega Man 10, the Wily Wars, the world games on the Game Boy. There's even references in this to Super Adventure. Rock Band and Rockboard. Hell, there's even moments that reference soccer in the old Ruby Spears cartoons. And I think the creator has some interest in updating it with Mega Man 11 stuff, possibly in the future, maybe when we have Mega Man 12 as well. Because this game is still being worked on, to the point where there was literally an update released while I was playing it for this podcast that did stuff like rebalance weapons and rework maps and stuff. And that 12 years of effort really shows. I complained about the Minecraft crossover because it is neither Mega Man X, it is not Minecraft, and it is not something special made by mixing them. 8-Bit Deathmatch takes advantage of the Doom engine's high-speed play and then combines it with the fact that Mega Man has a ton of weapons, an absurd number of characters, visually distinctive and interesting stages, and a strong aesthetic. Like, it's worth noting, Doom only uses 3D for level layouts, it uses sprites for, like, everything else that is rendered in that space, so naturally, all of the sprite-based design of the classic Mega Man games works incredibly well. When you are rendering a target that is so far away from you with just a flat 2D sprite, the classic Mega Man sprites still works. It still fits that aesthetic. Doom couldn't do complex level geometry, but that's fine. Use that blocky nature and tile it with the classic Mega Man 8-bit tiles and it looks great. It's a design 
that executes a really good 3D representation of a classic 2D pixel aesthetic. It isn't quite Doom. This is based way more on a multiplayer aspect than the original Doom ever was. It isn't quite classic Mega Man. It is less about boss fights and more about dueling a ton of enemies, non-linear stages as opposed to like platforming precision. And yet, what it's able to create by taking strengths from both is something distinct and worthwhile. So let's get into some of the specifics. So first off, yes, this is a multiplayer game. Real talk, I haven't been playing the multiplayer, I haven't had time. I also have not finished this game completely, because it turns out the single player is also absurdly massive. Before we even begin to get into the single player campaign, there's a full lab we can wander around with NPCs to talk to, there's a whole training area where we can test out different weapons on different types of enemies with different responsiveness, there's cutscenes to watch that are rendered in engine using these visual styles, then finally we get into the actual stages. The single player consists primarily of working your way through tournaments themed after every single individual Mega Man game one by one and fighting through them. You'll generally tackle about nine regular stages followed by a boss stage. Somewhere in there before, during, and after, there'll be a variety of different cutscenes, but that's the basic idea. You aren't necessarily playing as Mega Man. You can make your player character look like Mega Man in cutscenes if you want, but for the most part, you're playing as a generic robot whose name is initially just player. You can change that to whatever you want. I think his, like, canon name is supposed to be Maestro to keep with the music theme, but I'm just going to call him Doom Man. In every normal stage, Doom Man is placed into a classic deathmatch-style scenario in a stage. These stages are based on the different Robot Master stages from each game. Every single Robot Master from 1 through 10 has their stage replicated in this game. And I mean every single one. <laughs> Almost every one of these rounds is a classic deathmatch, meaning that you can respawn pretty much instantly at a random place in the stage whenever you die, and your goal is just to be the first one to score a number of kills. Generally, anywhere from 10 for the smaller, more compact stages, to 20 for stages that might be larger and have more enemies. And this is classic Doom style. It's fast, it's frantic, you're encouraged to kill Steel because the one who matters is the one who gets the killing blow, but you're also encouraged to run for your life when you're on low HP because the stages are scattered with weapon energy and life recovery pellets and various weapons and items, which we'll get into in a little bit, because anytime you're defeated, somebody else just scored a point. 
Not every single stage is a deathmatch. There are boss stages. There are also stages which shake up the formula some. During the Mega Man and Base storyline, for instance, you are actually on a three-person team with Mega Man and Base in each stage, and it turns into team deathmatch. And there is, like, little tweaks here and there to try to freshen up the formula, with, for instance, one section of the game having to build your own arsenal. In other areas, you may be challenged suddenly by the Mega Man killers if you did really well, and all sorts of other secret stuff. This game is huge. At least 12 different Mega Man games are represented in here, almost all of them with at least 8 different Robot Masters, plus at least one stage covering the Wily Fortresses at the end as one final deathmatch, and then there's the boss fights, and then there's all of the cutscenes in them, and oh my god, this game is huge. And what's really impressive is that it keeps coming up with new stuff that is evocative of the source material. Each stage uses the visuals, or visuals very, very closely inspired by the original games in order to expand that out into different multiplayer arenas. To give some examples from Mega Man 2 levels, Bubble Man has a lot of wide open areas, and because it's underwater, everybody has very high jumps, so there is a lot more verticality. And there's a ton of verticality in Crash Man stage, which was largely almost an entirely vertical climb, and you'll navigate the stage with ladders, but also tools like the Rush Jet, Rush Coil, and Tornado Hold. Heatman stage. There are environmental hazards in magma you can fall into. There's Yoku blocks, and if you want to risk platforming across the Yoku blocks, opening yourself up to anybody who might see you trying these platforming, you can reach high-value items and weapons that might be stronger than what you can find elsewhere in the stage. There's a ton of love put into looking into each of these stages and going, okay, what features can we meaningfully bring over into a multiplayer arena and still have it be interesting. And every single one of these stages is also made more distinctive by its weapon selection, because the weapons are a huge part of this game. Every single weapon is here, and I do mean every single one. Everybody might start a match with just the Mega Buster, but you can get everything from Elec Man's Thunderbeam up to Terra's Spark Chaser. Even stuff like the Sakugarn and the Mega Baller in here. So, basically, in this game, every robot starts with a basic uncharged Mega Buster, can get the job done. However, scattered throughout the level, there will usually be somewhere around eight different weapon power-ups you can find, and this will depend specifically on what level to determine what these weapon power-ups actually are. They will always be in the same spot, and if you want them back because you died and lost them, all you have to do is make it back to that spot. The crazy part is, is pretty much all of them do what you'd expect, adapted meaningfully for a 3D space in a competitive shooter. They generally get to keep their most distinctive properties. Heatman's Atomic Fire, for instance, still has the atrocious charge time, but managed to charge it all the way up and land it, and you can one-shot somebody. Needle Cannon keeps its classic rapid fire. The Blizzard Shot gets a nice wide spread, but can only fire so fast it doesn't have the most power of any weapon. Weapons like the Rebound Striker actually bounce off walls. Projectiles which track along the ground are actually really, really useful in this game because you can easily fire them over ledges. So stuff like the Bubble Lead and the Water Wave, even those two weapons that functionally did the same thing of traveling along the ground, the Bubble Lead is individual shots with decent amounts of power. The Water Wave will shoot a string of projectiles, one after another, that each does smaller damage, but you can be swinging your buster side to side and literally create, like, diagonal projectiles traveling across the ground to catch opponents. Some of the weapons do have different functionality. For instance, 
there's like five different time-stopping weapons. So now one of them slows opponents that are near you when it goes off. The centaur flash is no longer a time-stop. It actually makes you go invisible for a few seconds after using it. The bright stopper is no longer randomly a time-stop. It is a flashbang that blinds the screen of anybody near you, which I didn't realize until I had an enemy actually use it on me. And yes, the top spin is in this game, and it does make your camera spin 360 degrees, and it is confusing, and it's also just as powerful as you remember it. If you can catch somebody with it, they're probably dead. All of these weapons manage to feel fairly distinct, and even when you get weapons that are very, very close to each other, even when you have, like, a slash claw and a flame blade existing in the same game, because every stage only has around eight of these different weapons, that doesn't matter. You're almost never going to get stages that functionally have identical weapons. Oh, and that's just the weaponry. I haven't talked about the support items because there's a lot of those, too. A lot of other weapons from throughout classic Mega Man are represented here. Things like the traversal items from Mega Man 2. You can get the Rush Coil and the Rush Jet and even the Rush Marine have functions in this. You can summon Tango to attack. You can summon Treble to act as like a sentry gun for a little bit. Even the item that you would have bought from Auto in order to be able to leave stages that you've already finished, you can pick that up and it's an emergency exit button that teleports you out to a random respawn. This game is so brimming with fun ideas for how to translate all of the classic Mega Man tools, as many as they could get away with, into this 3D competitive format, and it's great. For a single-player campaign, if all there was was deathmatch after deathmatch after deathmatch, things would get a little bit, um, a little bit boring. Especially when you consider that we're talking, like, a hundred-ish stages of this deathmatch-style play. Even if they are all in different arenas and stuff, you do need to break it up from time to time when playing single-player. But that's what all that story and cutscenes are for. Most importantly, and perhaps most impressively, are the boss fights that were all custom-designed for this game. Where it can pull it off, this game tries not to just port one-for-one one a boss fight from the original games. It starts off a little bit that way with a Yellow Devil fight, but like, during Mega Man 2, you'll have to deal with the Guts Dozer. Which starts with you having to run away from the Guts Dozer down a corridor before it can crush you, then entering into an open arena where you have to dodge it for a while until the real Guts Man is able to damage and disable it to stun it and give you a chance to climb up and deal damage to it. And that was just the second boss fight. As the game has expanded with new major releases every couple years, and has included additional Mega Man games and stories, the boss fights have definitely gotten more elaborate. You can bet that Mega Man 7 has a multi-phase duel with base. At first you're fighting him on foot, and then later you get the power adapter and the ability to fly, and you have an aerial battle with him in his super form. 
Or, as I found out, if you fight him without taking to the air, you even get a hidden boss battle with the Wily Capsule from 7. Mega Man 8, in particular, has the big surprise of not having you fight Duo. Well, no, that's not true. You do actually have a duel with Duo. But also, the final boss of the Mega Man 8 storyline actually involves you taking Duo's energy and flying out to space to fight the evil robot from the opening cinematic of Mega Man 8. And that is a completely custom boss fight. And this is all compounded by, like, increasingly in-depth story and cutscenes. The story is, it's a little bit goofy. Like, the tale of Doom Man is, it is a self-insert fic. Mary Sue writing in the most genuine sense of everything in the plot twists in order to make Doom Man the most important character. But it's not the worst thing. It's goofy and lighthearted and is having fun with being an alternate universe. It's just, you know, don't expect anything great. But there were, I will say, some cutscenes that did kind of surprise me with the amount of detail that went into them. I will say, though, I don't like every single one of the boss fights. I mean, I like a lot of them, but I will be clear, sometimes some of the bosses had attacks that, like, if I was too close to the boss when it started, I couldn't really do anything about it. The evil robot from Mega Man 8, for instance, in particular, was a really rough time because he picks from, like, eight different random attacks each time based on the different Mega Man 8 robot masters, just, like, super forms of their attacks. And it's random which ones he picks, and suffice to say, they are not created even remotely equally. The Ice Slasher attack is basically guaranteed to do at least some damage to you. And the Grenade Man attack, if he picks it, because of the lack of invincibility frames in boss fights, can literally surprise you by dropping your HP to zero from full out of nowhere if you make the slightest mistake dodging it. And it can make some things really brutally tough, even on the easier difficulty. Yeah, fortunately, there is an easy difficulty. You're absolutely right. I spent the majority of my time playing this game on it. I am bad at first-person shooters. But it really did create a lot of really spiky instances in terms of difficulty, and the boss fights were really irregular about whether they provided opportunities to refill health or not. Some of them provided, like, infinite opportunity to refill health. If you could stay safe for long enough, the health would respawn. In some of them, the evil robot fight, there was literally no extra health in that arena, ever. In all seriousness, in my time with it, that was the only major complaint I could come up with. I mean, I, I could find other issues. This is running on a Doom engine that is not necessarily custom called down for this game. There is a lot of features in that Doom engine that are extra settings that you could poke around with, and it's hard to tell which ones are actually going to be able to affect your game or not. I could complain about the fact that not every single stage manages to pull off the 3D adaptation well, mostly in a sense that the tiling in the stages really needs there to be like a ledge marker visually, otherwise it can be kind of hard to see where like a gap in a wall might be, but that was generally limited to only some of the stages early in the game, and otherwise wasn't an issue. I could complain about the fact that like some of the robot masters don't look right when they are looking directly at you. Groundman in particular looks weirdly terrifying. Wherever possible, the original sprites are used, but because this is a 3D game and it's important to know which way your opponent is facing, every character that you can run into in this game has multiple different sprites for facing different directions relative to you. Other than, like, a couple of them, which are straight up the original sprites, they were all custom done. And sometimes even the quote-unquote original sprites had to be custom done because they're 8-bit demakes of the Mega Man 7 and and Mega Man and base bosses, which, like, 
honestly look really good. Complaining that a handful of them looks wrong ignores the fact that there was dozens and dozens and dozens of editions. Long story short, I know I said I didn't finish it, but you bet I'm going to go back and do so. I didn't finish it because it turned out to be so goddamn gigantic, and at some point I have to record this episode and edit it. But yeah, no, this is really good. This is a game that has been worked on for 12 years, and it shows. And that's not even getting into the soundtrack. Now, mostly 8-bit Deathmatch just uses the original soundtrack from the original games. Sometimes it pulls from official Capcom rearranges, demaking the music from Mega Man 7, 8, and Mega Man and Base, but for the most part, it's just the originals. All the stage themes are there, and it shifts to the boss tracks when matches are near the end. But there is actually a lot of new stuff by people who have just devoted their free time, like Orange Mario and Dr. Freeman, and I have to give them all the credit because they compose in a style that very much fits classic Mega Man. Almost all the classic Mega Man games were actually composed by different people, but they did share a sound, an energy, a style, and all these fit within that. Generally, the new tracks can be broken down into three types, each of which I will exemplify. One is a translation of an already existing theme, and I've chosen Time Man's theme to demonstrate this. This is an adaptation from a track that was added to Mega Man 1 during Powered Up, a game we'll cover in due time, but this feels right at home translated back into the NES sound font. Second is what I'd call a rearranged upgraded track. This time I've chosen the theme of the Guts Dozer, which, first off, is taking Gutsman's theme and transposing it into a longer, more pumped-up boss track. Also, it has my favorite audio joke in the entirety of Mega Man at the start of it, and one of these days I will do a Ruby Spears Mega Man episode to explain it. Finally, there is 
brand new tracks created for this as well, and I've chosen the Evil Robot fight. I've been talking a lot about this fight. It has a really bop-in theme, though. As far as I can tell, this isn't actually based on any specific previous Mega Man theme. It's just completely custom. It's got a heavy use of reverb to amplify the kind of sense of distance of being in space and some heavy percussion to drive home the tension. It sure wasn't boring to listen to while I fought the thing for like half an hour. So, yeah, that, that wraps up this April Fool's Day episode, which, surprise, was two games, and one of which I was incredibly disappointed in and paid for, the other of which is a 12-year labor of love by fans that I loved. Next episode will be end of April. Battle Network Legacy Collection will be coming out in the middle of that, and so I'm not going to try to, like, rush Mega Man 2 mid-month, especially because I want to do, like, a full playthrough of that. So the next game I'm going to cover on the podcast will be the original Mega Man Zero, because it's time to move on to a new timeline and do that before I sink into Battle Network Hell for, like, probably three episodes in a row or something like that. If you've liked the podcast and what you've been hearing, feel free to drop me a line at whatamipodcastingfor at gmail.com. Hit me up on Twitter or follow it at whatamipodcastfor with the number for need an RSS feed or just want direct downloads, waipf.podbean.com. Thank you for listening. I've been Garlisle, and just remember, having 12 years to work on a game tends to make it really good. See also Minecraft. Just don't rush things or you end up with Minecraft DLC, apparently.